good afternoon it's uh, <clears throat> excuse me good afternoon it's wednesday the 9th of december 2020 just after one o'clock welcome to uk column news your host today mike robinson myself brian gerrish and we're delighted to be joined by david scott bringing us northern exposure uh, from north of the border uh, well obviously we'll get started with uh, with matt hancock now i'm not going to put the video up today because i'm not going to inflict that on anyone i'm sure everyone has seen the video clip from good morning britain of Matt Hancock uh, crying his crocodile tears, except there were no tears at all. And and Brian, I have to say that watching that sort of reminded me very much of, of uh, you know, many of the people have been talking about psychopaths in recent years and talking about the, the sort of characteristics of psychopaths and how they don't have any emotion of their own, but they attempt to sort of replicate or yeah. mirror emotions from normal people. And uh, well, I'm just going to ask that question because there was nothing real in uh, in his uh, reaction at all there. Uh, nothing real that I saw, Mike. We should encourage all of the um, UK column audience today to watch that clip and watch Matt Hancock, how he behaves, um, because there is this crass attempt at tearfulness. But then he's laughing. It's almost that he's laughing at his own inability to produce the uh, the desired um, media tears i think people should watch it because i think we're getting a real insight into into this man's mind and i don't think it's a very nice place um but uh, what uh, caused him to claim this reaction was uh, uh, the first male uh, vaccine recipient william shakespeare 81 from warwickshire uh, who was uh, too much fan for fair given uh, the jab yesterday. Well, uh, everybody will be glad to know that the justification for this rollout has now been published. Um, this is the front page uh, from that document. It's available on the UK government website. Uh, Reg 174, that's Regulation 174, Information for UK Healthcare Professionals. And the first thing that's very interesting about it is that it's a blank white page with that text on it. There's no uh, branding. There's no acknowledgement of who has written this. Uh, and we'll be coming on to that topic again towards the end of this little segment, but let's just have a look and see what this document says. Uh, first of all, it says the medicinal, this medicinal product does not have a UK marketing authorization, but has been given authorization for temporary supply by the UK Department of Health and Social Care and the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency for active immunization to prevent COVID-19 disease caused by SARS-CoV-2 virus in individuals age 16 and age, uh, of age and over. So that's what they're claiming. It's claiming that it'll provide active immunization for the disease. And it's cl they're claiming that uh, it's been given temporary authorization for use in everybody over the age of 16. Now, of course, uh, on Monday's program, we were listing the eight or nine categories of people that are gonna get this. And really uh, nobody over the age, between the age of 16 and 64 is gonna get it unless, or is gonna be offered it unless they, uh, have what's described as an underlying health condition. Uh, so we'll see how, how many of, of those category take it up in any case. Uh, it goes on to say, as with any new medicine in the UK, this product will be closely monitored to allow quick identification of new safety information. Healthcare professionals are asked to report any suspected adverse reactions. See section 4.8 for how to do that. Uh, and of course, uh, the MHRA has this brand new AI system in place, which cost them one and a half million pounds uh, for for recording these uh, adverse reactions. Um, and uh, well, we'll see how effective that is as we go on, because uh, uh, clearly they're expecting them. Uh, it goes on to say this, uh, this is a multi-dose vial and must be diluted before use. One vial contains five doses of 30 micrograms of the RNA. Uh, embedded in lipid nanoparticles. Now, the issue of nanoparticles has uh, certainly been doing the rounds in social media. We'll come on to that a little bit later as well. Uh, but uh, just wanted to make the point that uh, uh, that term uh, is in this document. And uh, certainly it is. this is part of uh, this particular Pfizer vaccine. So they then go on to talk about uh, vaccine handling. Uh, and it's, it's certainly not easy to handle. Uh, vial, frozen vials should be transferred to two degrees to eight degrees to thaw. Uh, a 195 vial pack may take three hours to thaw. Uh, alternatively, frozen vials may be thawed for 30 minutes at temperatures up to 25 Celsius uh, for immediate use. Once thawed, the undiluted vaccine can be stored for up to five days at two to eight degrees uh, and up to two hours at temperatures up to 25 degrees. 
um, then you've got to uh, sort of gently mix it a little bit. They say that if there are any large particles in this at all, then you've got to discard the, uh, the, the vaccine in total. Well, that's, that's very reassuring, uh, Mike. If, 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 if there's any contaminants, don't use it. Yeah, yeah uh, right? uh, they say that uh, thawed vaccine must be, be diluted in its original vial uh, with 1.8 milliliters of, well, it's a saline solution. Um, uh, but unpreserved sodium chloride solution for injection is the only dilutant uh, that should be used. Uh, this dilutant is uh, not provided in the vaccine carton. So there's opportunity for mistakes there, but you've got to make sure you use the right product to dilute, dilute the thing. Uh, and after dilution, the vial contains five doses um, and uh, you can then inject with a sterile needle and discard any unused vaccine within six hours. So once the vial is opened, uh, six hours is what you've got to use it. Uh, now with respect to testing, this is what it says. Uh, interaction with other medicinal products and other forms of interaction. No interaction studies have been performed. Good, uh, let's move on. Uh, under the category of fertility, pregnancy and lactation, it says for women of childbearing age, pregnancy should be excluded before vaccination. Uh, in addition, women of childbearing age should be advised to avoid pregnancy for at least two months after their second dose. Uh, you were gonna say something? Uh, well, I, I think this is ex extremely key. This brings us uh, onto the subject of what this vaccine can do. Uh, indeed, uh, but it then goes on to say, it is unknown whether COVID-19 mRNA vaccine uh, has an impact on fertility. So they don't know, doesn't matter. Don't, if you're, don't get pregnant within two months of taking the second dose, but there's no real concern, it seems, about uh, any long-term. They're just happy to not know. Uh, so anyway, uh, the safety profile, uh, what do they say here? The safety of COVID-19 mRNA vaccine uh, was evaluated in participants 16 years of age and older in two clinical studies con conducted in the United States, Europe, Turkey, South Africa, and South America. Now, earlier uh, before the program, Brian, I asked, I asked you just to guesstimate, really, you know, how many people would you be comfortable with uh, testing this before it was rolled out? And the number you came up with was 100,000. Uh, that's what based, that's, up, based on a UK population. That was just that was just my guesstimate of, yes. of where they might start with the number of people that would would form a, an effective trial basis. Okay, so let's look and see what effective trial basis they have uh, they have run. First of all, study one uh, enrolled sixty participants, eighteen through fifty five years of age. Uh, this is their text, and you'll explain why I'm saying that in a second. Uh, and then study two uh, enrolled 44,000 participants, 12 years of age or older. But, and there's a pretty significant but here, uh, out of these, at the time of analysis, 19,067 were evaluated for safety two months after the second dose. So at this point in time, this vaccine has been approved based on uh, a, a, a testing cohort of 19,067 but only 9,531 of those were actually given the vaccine because 9,536 of them were given a placebo. Uh, so David, maybe at this point, I could welcome you to the program and, and say, uh, Brian's initial guesstimate was 100,000. I'd be interested to know what you think would be a reasonable number to be testing before you roll this thing out. Uh, but nonetheless, we're actually rolling it out on the basis of uh, safety evaluation of 9,531 people. It seems a very small number and also um, not very much on the age profile other than older than 12. We're rolling this out initially to the, the very elderly and the very infirm. Um, that's where the greatest risk is. It would be interesting to know, and it doesn't seem to be included in that, in that document, how many people in that category we have actually tried this on. Um. I didn't see, I may have missed it, but I didn't see any specific number for that at all. But uh, looking at the some of the mainstream press coverage of this, that number is uh, guesstimated to be very, very low. But my next question then is, who wrote this document? Uh, because look, it, I've already shown this text, but look how immunization is spelt. Who in Britain says 18 through 55 years of age? I, I'm really questioning who wrote this question, this document. Was it the Department of Health and Social Care? Was it the MHRA? 
uh, or was it actually Pfizer themselves? This is a co copy and paste job. Is this why there's no uh, actual logo on the document? There's no attribution on the document uh, at all. It's completely blank and devoid of any uh, names of either government agencies, individuals and in government individuals at Pfizer or Pfizer themselves. Um, so I'd like to know who wrote this document. It looks very much like it's using, and there are other examples. It's not just the word immunization spelt with a Z. There are other words spelt with the uh, Americanized spelling uh, instead. So uh, who wrote this? But look, uh, I think one of our viewers uh, has this just about right. Uh, the clinical trial goes on until the end of December 20, 2022, and the UK government basically have enrolled us uh, onto a clinical trial. And uh, Brian, I was saying to you earlier, it's pretty clear to me that that's what's happened. But the fact that they've chosen uh, people over the age of 80 as the first group for this. Uh, on Monday's programme, we were highlighting once again that, of course, uh, relatives of the elderly cannot get into care homes just to see the condition that, uh, that their relatives are in, the elderly are in. Um, so you've effectively got uh, a lab rats in, a, in an enclosed, locked up environment. Um, and it's going to be very, very hard for people to track what's happening to their, uh, to those people inside the care homes while this, this clinical trial is going on. Well, they're going to die, Mike. I, I'm, I'm going to say it's in a talk I gave many, many years ago. Somebody asked me about what these people wanted. They were talking about the malevolence within government. And I said they want to kill us. And that is exactly what has been done to date with the lockup in for COVID and that is going to continue except now we have we've got a whole captive um, section of the population which is those elderly people and you as a relative are not going to be able to protect them. Uh, and if, I just want to show this uh, as well from another UK column uh, viewer so thanks very much for these two and David it's quite incredible isn't it because uh, this says hi Mike hope you're well I've received a letter addressed to my eldest today who is 17 years old, the letters from the NHS, inviting him to participate in blood tests and surveys over the coming months uh, to do with examining antibodies around uh, infectious diseases. Apparently, basically to me, it look, seems like lab work. They should, should have done prior to rolling out some dodgy vaccine. Uh, and they're looking for zero to 24 year olds. I was more concerned how they're bypassing us as parents while they're still technically a minor. And of course, uh, my uh, one of my youngest child who's uh, 15 now, just 15, uh, has received uh, uh, COVID test, uh, an invitation to take part in COVID test surveys. The levels of, sur uh, of surveillance, David, are just unprecedented. Surveillance is huge. Um, the timing of the trials is uh, tardy. Um, and the information is lacking. Uh, you said that the the, the the instructions on using the vaccine was to discard it if there was large particles. I wonder how large large is. Uh, it seems an odd sort of specification. Um, the, there is much information missing. For example, what was the placebo in these trials? Um, and there's, there's much to know. Uh, we would hope that the mainstream media would be doggedly pursuing this information. Uh, yes. Well, I, I, we're going to be talking about the BBC a little bit later in, in the news. And I'm afraid to say, David, they certainly won't be because they've got a completely different agenda, which we'll be looking at. Uh, my understanding is that the placebo was uh, a saline solution and that was it. Now, uh, it isn't going very well already uh, because this is the headline in the mail just before we came on air. Uh, warning over UK vaccine rollout as two NHS staff given jabs suffer anaphylactic reaction. Uh, regulators urge people with history of significant allergies not to have Pfizer injection just 24 hours after Britain's mass inoculation kicked off. Now, just purely anecdotally, uh, I can say that, uh, that uh, uh, quite a number of people uh, in the uh, medical profession uh, who were speaking to my parents yesterday have been, I mean, several of them have been saying that they are extremely uh, skeptical about this vaccine. They've no intention of taking it. They're very concerned that they may be forced to take it uh, as a condition of their continued employment. Uh, but here we've got two NHS staff uh, reacting pretty badly to it. Both people are recovering following the first day of the mass vaccination program, uh, says the Daily Mail. 
uh, but NHS in England said that all trusts involved with the vaccination program have been informed, so that's okay then. And the MHRA has given advice to anyone with who has a, a history of significant allergic reactions uh, not to get the vaccine. But of course, not everybody knows uh, what their propensity to a significant allergic reaction might be under any particular set of circumstances. Well, that, that's absolutely it, Mike. Anaphylactic shock kills people, um, has killed people, does kill people. This is not being mentioned at all. We'll see a bit more of this when we come on, come on to the BBC. But effectively, potentially deadly reaction, just not discussed. Oh, you might get a bit of swelling, you might get a bit of fever, um, but the real dangers are not being discussed. So we, we can now see the, the media manipulating, manipulating the news. It's pushing the pro for the vaccine and it's suppressing all the negatives for the vaccine. It's quite clear this is happening. And we'll show some of the baseline documents which uh, show where this policy has come from. Uh, now, the news from the United States uh, isn't so good either, or is it? I mean, it's, it's really... Uh... This is really one of the, the, the basic questions here. So this headline from uh, New Daily, uh, FDA publishes first peer-reviewed report on Pfizer trial as Britain rolls out COVID, COVID vaccine. And what the FDA is saying is that six people died uh, during the uh, Pfizer trials. Um, they're saying that four of those people uh, were on the placebo side of the fence. Uh, two of them were while they were taking the actual vaccine. It's not clear whether the vaccine contributed to those two deaths. Uh, but th the question then is, uh, or at least we're expected to simply trust the, the, the word of the manufacturer that the four that they say were from the placebo side were on the placebo side. Now, I don't have any evidence whatsoever to suggest that they weren't. But my concern here is, David, that uh, all the way through this, this emergency approval in the UK, it's all based on Pfizer's data, Pfizer's statements, Pfizer's claims. And there's no independent verification of any of this. Yes. It, just to go back to the vaccine reactions you were describing there, Mike, uh, Scotsman was reporting this. Uh, both staff members, they report, are understood to have had a history of allergic reactions to the extent that they carried adrenaline auto-injectors with them. Um, I find that astonishing that they were given that vaccine under those circumstances and astonishing that the NHS needed to be then told not to do that. That seems to be so obvious as to um, you know, defy belief. Um, uh, yes, and as, in terms of the overview, well, we know what the vaccine companies have covered up before. We know from the, from the film Vaxxed that they covered up the link with autism. They, they manipulated the data. They sat in a meeting, executives from, from drug companies sat in a meeting heard about the risk, one left the meeting to phone his son to tell his son not to vaccinate his grandchild and then went back into the meeting to manipulate the data. And by the time the data manipulation was finished, processing was finished, there was, there was nothing to see. So we know what they're capable of. So oversight, well, yeah, we need to see the data and we need to see independent analysis of this by people who are capable of critical thinking and who are not in the pay of the drug companies who have a financial interest in not finding anything. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's going to lead, I'm saying that as black humour, that's going to lead, leave MHRA out of the equation, isn't it? Because it's already been shown, um, you know, what they've been feeding off. Um, right. Now, like, I'm going to just preface this little section that, that there may be people disagree with me on this. There may be people not too far away from where I'm actually sitting that may disagree with me on this particular point. But I'm just going to I'm just going to throw, throw this out here for a little bit of discussion. Um, so this is from Nature Nanotechnology, and it's uh, talking about nanomedicine and the COVID-19 vaccines. And they're talking about uh, uh, two nanoparticle based vaccines close to obtaining uh, approval from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Of course, the Pfizer one already has. Now, here's one of the uh, companies that produces this type of things. In the Pfizer uh, vaccine, we've got this uh, lipid nanoparticle. Uh, and I just wanted to sort of explain a little bit what this means. So if we uh, look at some of the terms, first of all, a lipid is a substance that's insoluble in water and soluble in alcohol, ether and chloroform. They're an important component of living cells. Together with carbohydrates and proteins, lipid, lipids are the main constituents of plant and animal cells. 
cholesterol and uh, are, are examples of uh, lipids. And then as far as the definition of a nanoparticle, well, it's uh, an ultrafine particle, usually between one and 100 nanometers, but could be up to 500 nanometers. Uh, so that's what a nanoparticle is. Uh, but now I've seen a lot of stuff in social media over the last few days about focusing on this particular issue of these lipid nanoparticles. And really, uh, what are we talking about here? Well, it's a little uh, nanoparticle sphere which holds the, the uh, RNA inside it uh, as it's being injected into the person uh, and then is uh, helping to get that uh, RNA inside the cells. Um, but my point here is, or my question is whether we should be whether people should be focusing on this term and really demonizing this term or not, because of course, uh, nanoparticles are nothing new. They're not even new to the uh, alternative medicine arena because uh, colloidal silver is an example of nanoparticles suspended in, in water. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the, you know, people have been using that for a very long time. So the, the demonizing the term isn't necessarily the correct thing to do, particularly because there are some quite positive uh, uh, applications yeah. for this technology and this is one from pain medicine talking about a promising new paradigm for the control of pain and you know there are so many people that are really struggling with the current pain drugs that are available even though there's and there's nothing else really available uh, aside from allopathic uh, remedies for pain uh, so it would be good to see these types of things uh, uh, developed in in the not too distant future. My point here, really, David, is that uh, when we're when we're uh, targeting or choosing the target to go for, uh, in this case, we should be targeting the payload rather than perhaps the method of delivery, because the although the method of delivery is novel, it actually potentially has some pretty positive uh, impacts for the future. Uh, it's the it's the payload we should be aiming for here, uh, and uh, and. Well, that's my point, really. Yes, and it's, it's a good point. The essential thing is, is the, is the study, is the assessment honest? Is it being, are, are real problems being examined thoroughly? Uh, it's not a case where we should be averse to new technology because it's new on the basis that it's, it's, a, it's a plot because it's new, new technology, and old technology can be used for good or ill. It's the quality of the human assessment, uh, the human management and the human direction that we need to be looking at most carefully. Is that straight and honest and willing to admit mistakes? Or is that uh, hidden and secret and shielded from examination? Any thoughts? Well, I, I wouldn't disagree with that, with that David. I'm always... I am slightly nervous on this subject because uh, we have a huge problem convincing many people in the general public of UK that we have people in government um, who are not just making mistakes. Um, it's, it's not cock up. Uh, what we've actually got is a malicious conspiracy which is setting out to hurt and damage people. And quite clearly that mentality exists within the scientific community that we have people, you've mentioned the term psychopath, Mike, we've got people that are clearly psychopaths are on the verge of it who are driving new technology and they seem to have the upper hand and sometimes it can be very difficult to convince people we need to really be alert for people whose intention is malicious. Um, so um, by by acknowledging that part of what's happening here could be used for benefit is of course true, um, but I, it just makes me a little bit nervous that we've got enough trouble focusing on the dangers of what's actually happening. And uh, the moment you try and say, well, actually this bit's bad, but this bit's okay, we're diluting our message a bit, but maybe I'm, I'm a bit sensitive to that issue. <laughs> Well, look, uh, we are heading uh, apparently for a third wave, potentially, and apparently the lockdown is being lifted a bit too much. And uh, really, we don't want to be having a good Christmas at all this year. We need to not go away for a week. We need to not uh, visit our friends and family. And this is according to uh, Susan uh, Mickey, Mikey, not quite sure how to pronounce Mitchie. her name. Mitchie, I would have thought, but, but, uh, but, she's but we're from, in trouble over names, Mike, yes. so we'll probably get a bit of feedback. Uh, but she's uh, from Spy B uh, on the Sage Group. This is the Behavioural Insights Group. Uh, so let's have a listen to what she was saying on, 
on the BBC this morning. When we talk about people, you know, we know there are very, very different groups and the people that have or the groups that have always been most challenged in terms of adhering to the restrictions have been younger people and especially younger men. So, yes, I think that, um, you know, there would have been people who, who would have, no matter what, um, you know, kind of done what they usually do. But I think that would have been a tiny minority. And whilst I think sometimes people push the boundaries, if the leadership and the me message is coming from many different, and especially if it's coming from trusted sources, that we need to really, really be careful this Christmas. And, um, you know, as much as possible, see people outside or use the online platforms, um, think of creative different ways, drinks with neighbours on the street, more kind of local community rather than, you know, travelling miles mm. across the country. Then I think that people would have really, and I, I still think it's not too late because transmission rates are going up. We are facing the potential of a really bad third wave come January and February unless we really take steps now to prevent that. So I think a bit of a reorientation, a bit of a reset on how people are thinking about Christmas would be really good. So if you've stopped laughing, David, I'm just interested to, to know your thoughts on that, because uh, first of all, she's pulling out all the all the talking points from this side of the argument uh, over the last few days. Trusted sources, we've got to rely on the trusted sources. What defines a trusted source that's undefined? Um, she's claiming the transmissions are up when, in fact, most of the mainstream press is arguing that the transmissions are down. Um, so, you know, is, are, are these people just lying for, for, uh, for an outcome? Yes. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes. Up is down. Down is up. Uh, the third wave is coming, although there's never been a third wave in any viral uh, epidemic before. Um, but, yeah, the reset, we must reset Christmas. Uh, okay, I'm finding that very interesting because there is a, a religious aspect to this. Um, you, must, uh, you, must obey, you must obey the state uh, and the state will set you free and they uh, will provide you with redemption and will save you from certain death. There is, a, there is a religious aspect, and it's, it's fascinating to see um, uh, the focusing in on Christmas and, and what people do. I wonder where that one's going to go. Well, well shall, I, shall I say where it's going to go? I'm happy to say where it's going to go, David. They want to completely eradicate Christmas um, and everything about Christmas. Um, that's, that's, that's where they're going as fast as possible. Uh, because if they can get rid of Christmas, they're well on their way to getting rid of Christianity and Christianity is the key target for these people. Uh, right, David, let's uh, move on to, uh, to the World Health Organization and, well, some best practice guidance. Are you following this guidance? Well, you, you know it's going to get really dark and nasty when they start to use the term best practice uh, in, in any sort of governmental context. How to respond to vocal vaccine deniers in public. This is a guide to how to argue with those nasty anti-vaxxers. The fact that the World Health Organization has decided to produce this is, of course, evidence that they are struggling. They're struggling to get their message across and they're struggling because they're losing the argument. So, um, first of all, an abstract. This guidance document provides a basic broad principle for a, sports, a spokesperson of any health authority on how to respond to vo vocal vaccine deniers. Uh, the suggestions are based on psychological research on persuasion, on research in public health, communication studies, and on World Health Organization risk communication guidelines. Risk communication guidelines, more on that later. It's a fascinating document. This is full of little gems. This is, this is the explaining to their people how to program the public. And also, at the same time, it's programming their spokesmen um, so that they are filled with appropriate fear. More on that in just a minute. So, there are rules. There have to be rules. Um, the general public is your target audience, not the vocal vaccine denier. So you don't talk to people who have problems and concerns. No, you're talking past them at the general public. 
aim to correct the content and unmask the techniques that the vocal vaccine denier is using. And the goal is to make the public audience more resilient against the anti-vaccine statements and stories, support the vaccine hesitance um, in their vaccine accepting acceptance decisions. So it's all about reframing how the public think. That's the goal. Um, and on we go here, table one is actions undertaken to spread the message of vaccine denialism. So this, is, this alone is a, is a fascinating little table. First, skewing the science. Vocal vaccine deniers ignore and reject scientific evidence that counters their arguments. Now, this is, this is Boing Flip. This is the, um, the, the World Health Organization accusing vaccine skeptics of the thing that they themselves are guilty of because we all know the World Health Organization are ignoring the concerns raised by many people of good conscience who are raising the alarm about what's happening to children and, and, and others who receive vaccines. They go on, um, they only consider the results that seem to confirm their belief. That's the World Health Organization again. The results either do not represent the scientific consensus are fully conducted or mis misrepresented by the denier. The scientific consensus is, of course, meaningless because science doesn't work by consensus. That's a logical fallacy. Uh, yeah, David, um, just, so to, just, let me, sorry, just let me mention that uh, if anybody wants to see an article on that, uh, there's a fantastic uh, blog post by, uh, or opinion piece by uh, Ian Davis on the UK Column website on the front page at the moment. Uh, on that particular topic, and it's well worth reading. Sorry, I just wanted to mention that. Go on ahead. Yes, so we talk about censorship. Censorship. Vocal vaccine deniers shut down critics and avoid open discussions. Who is shutting down the critics? The state is shutting down the critics of the vaccine policy. The, the social media companies are shutting down the critics. The World Health Organization are shutting down the critics. This is obviously reversal. This is accusing your opponents of the thing that you are guilty of. It's called gaslighting. It's a very strange thing. Um, and then they say attacking the opposition. Vocal vaccine deniers use personal insults. Oh, the horror, right? What has Andrew Wakefield had to endure in terms of personal insults? This is just a bizarre position for the World Health, Health Organization to take, right? It gets worse. They then talk about what sort of people are these vaccine deniers. The individuals who refuse vaccines are very heterogeneous. Uh, they cannot be accurately described in simple terms, such as the anti-vaccine movement. They're very diverse often ve and often have very personal reasons for not vaccinating, such as their children having been harmed and them having witnessed it. Um, the variable degrees of conviction regarding the mindset a group of vocal vaccine deniers includes conspiracy theorists some of whom are very highly educated individuals who are well aware of the available scientific literature. Is that not a very strange statement? These conspiracy theorists are very highly educated and are aware of the literature. <laughs> very bizarre. So it goes on. Um, I, I would point out at this, at this point, um, <clears throat> that made me think of uh, Vernon Coleman. If you haven't read his book, it's well worth a read. Now, um, Public media, they say, are an opportunity, not a threat. So the World Health Organization recognized that the mainstream media are tame. They're always going to repeat the approved message. Right? It's an opportunity, not a threat. Um, and they say again, remember, you're representing the scientific consensus. So it's all about this. This is all the argument that comes in this. They don't address any of the actual issues. We're the scientific consensus. That's a meaningless statement that illustrates the people writing it don't know anything about science. Um, and it's a logical fallacy, and it's repeated over and over in this document. So we then have a list, do's and don'ts, things to do. Um, they are quite fascinating. Prepare three key messages you really want the public to know and remember. So this is what the politicians do. So we're operating on the political level here. We're talking about changing minds. We're not talking about arguing science. We're talking about arguing politically. Uh, Keep the three messages as simple as possible because the people are stupid. Uh, and you've got, to keep, you've got to dumb it down for the people. Repeat your key messages as often as reasonably possible. So this is, this is advertising meets politics. This has nothing to do with vaccine safety or anything else. 
It's to do with changing minds. Stick to your facts and repeat your key messages instead of repeating any anti-vaccine argument. Now, this is critical. That's saying, if you're, going to, if you're going to argue against someone on the facts, the first thing you would do is you would state their case fairly, and then you would show where it was flawed. This is instructing the, the, um, the spokesman not to do that. You cannot mention the vaccine deniers, so-called deniers case. You cannot mention it. It must be left unsaid. It must be excluded from what you say. This tells me that they know they have no answer. Uh, emphasize a high level of safety rather than the probability of adverse reactions. Okay, Th that's admitting there are adverse reactions and we're just talking, that's spin. We're talking about how we describe it. Use inclusive terms to, under, to underline a shared identity with the audience. So this is political speech manipulation again. Uh, avoid raising questions about the personal motive of the vaccine. I love this one. Avoid raising questions about the personal motivation of vocal vaccine deniers. I wonder why the World Health Organization and, and the pro-vaccine lobby with all of their commercial links to Big Pharma would not want to talk about personal motivation. Can you imagine? I can't imagine. Uh, be honest during any, any discussion. Now, amen to that. But of course, they have to be honest without mentioning the other side's argument. So that's quite deceptive as well. Communicate what has been achieved so far and what needs to be done. That's just uh, um, calling for a utopian, um, this is where we're going to go to the, 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 uh, the, the sunny up ones. Avoid humorist contributions during the discussion because um, the authoritarian leftist world government doesn't do humour. <laughs> If you want any proof of that, watch the BBC. Uh, underline, science, underline scientific consensus with regard to vaccine and e safety and efficacy. So all they have is, is consensus. They don't have the data, they have the consensus. Emphasize the social benefits. Um, so they go on, they look at uh, the five characteristics of denialism, uh, conspiracies, fake experts, selectivity. I thought four was particularly interesting. Impossible expectations. Uh, expecting 100% certain results or, or health treatments with no possible side effects. So expecting a vaccine to be totally safe is an unrealistic expectation. That's, that's the view. Um, the, um, so they're saying you, you've got to correct the content. They emphasize the threat of the disease, um, that there are no alternatives. They talk about effectiveness. They, the scientific evidence is clear vaccination is the most effective health intervention for prevention of many serious diseases. It's those words. They're, that's in quote marks. They're actually telling their spokesman what to say, those words. They're not saying, go to this paper and you'll see the evidence in the paper and then you go and speak. They're, they're giving them the lines. Same with safety. The scientific evidence is clear. Vaccination is a safe way to prevent diseases. We'll come on to what safe means later in the show. Right, and the final one, right at the end of the document, is fascinating. So this is to the spokesman. This is to the health spokesman. And what they're telling them is you are at personal risk because the anti-vaxxers are so unhinged that they may attack you personally. Right, how to protect yourself. Be aware that your evidence and opinion may put your personal safety in jeopardy. This is lying to people to frighten them, to control how they think, a really fascinating thing. And it talks about making sure you have a safe means of escape. So if you're going to speak to someone who's got some problems with the vaccine policy, who thinks that vaccine harm is, is, is significant and that vaccine policy needs to be revised, you have to look about how you're going to escape the building if it all kicks off and it turns violent and you're at personal risk, and it tells them not to go alone. You're always going to take a friend because you could, be, you could be at personal risk. This is A, delusional, and it's, it's put out there to frighten people and control how the spokesman thinks. Um, a fascinating little document. Um, what do you think, gentlemen? Well, I, if I may, I wanted to come straight back and say it's vicious. This is, this is 
malicious and vicious use of applied psychology and yes it is absolutely designed to frighten that official spokes uh, spokesman or woman but also um, we've been talking about how the police are now uh, behaving in this particularly brutal way exactly the same techniques are being used on the streets they're being told that now the public are so aggressive that if they have got to go and attend some small little protest group in the depths of Cornwall um, those policemen on the streets have got to be looking over their shoulder uh, that somebody's going to come and and kill them and that is why the police are behaving in this very very aggressive brutal way so um, my key point here is that the applied psychology which we're going to go on into now to see where the, where some of this stuff is coming from is being used in a very cruel and malicious way and the public has got to be made aware of what that psychology is how it's being used which you've done extremely uh, well in the, in the segment you've just covered and um, we've also got to identify the named people in government who are responsible for uh, pushing this psychology into our society we need those people brought into a court to face very serious charges because they are damaging it's not just damaging the interaction of people they're damaging people's mental health they're damaging the mental health of the police they're damaging the mental health of people who are inside the nhs who are now being caught up in all of this uh, covid vaccine propaganda this is an attack on people's minds mm. Yes. Okay. Well, look, uh, if you like what the UK column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to help us out there. Uh, and David, uh, I believe Samantha Baldwin has, has a book out now. Yes, uh, Samantha Baldwin, the very uh, brave and gallant uh, mother of two children, um, has written a book called Everything is Going to Be Okay. It's subtitled, her first mistake was trusting him, her second was trusting the state. Um, it's gone on sale uh, this week. Uh, I'm partway through it. I'll do a book review uh, next week on this. Uh, and also ask, I would suggest that people go to the Samantha Baldwin interview uh, series, uh, five interview series covers the story as well on uh, Northern Exposure. Uh, the book's excellent, very readable. And uh, although the content is shocking, uh, it's written in a very accessible style and I would encourage people to, to seek this out. Amazon and other uh, sources um, for, for this book, I'm sure, will be available and uh, support Samantha and, um, and read her story. OK, thank you for that. Yeah, important book. Uh, well, we did anticipate that having criticised Nigel Farage uh, in the last news programme, there would be some feedback. Uh, we had, I think, four emails that came in. Uh, we decided to comment on the response. Um, we've also decided we're going to put the, te the main text of one of those emails up on screen. Um, but very, very interesting as to how people responded when we showed a film clip of a, an elderly lady who was clearly very sick, being held within a care home, her daughter prevented from actually having physical contact with her mother, and then the staff taking that lady away and the, the, the grieving daughter left outside of the glass, unable to get to her mother, that elderly lady now in the brutal control of the British state to be euthanized or vaccinated uh, as, as the government um, requires. We contrasted the, uh, that situation with the fact that Nigel Farage was putting up documentaries talking about the damage to the pub trade. We were commenting on effectively the brutalization against elderly people versus Mr. Farage talking about the pub trade. That is what we showed. Well, the feedback that came in was uh, that we'd been particularly uh, nasty to Mr. Farage so I'll just read this one out I was introduced to UK column today for the first time and was impressed at first with the candid nature of the broadcast that was until you cut off the Nigel Farage piece where he was in fact exposing fascist style tactics on the part of council workers who had stitched up a pub worker and then fined him for giving them a beer absolute entrapment 
Instead, you gave very cheap shots about Farage only caring where his next point is coming from. This makes you no better than the BBC who cut and edited the Trump piece on swallowing bleach and is a shocking and shoddy example of journalism. I would like to see an apology issued on a subsequent episode or I myself will spread the word of this shoddiness. Now, what is interesting about the, um, the emails that came in is that none of them um, mentioned anything to do with the deaths of elderly people. This was simply ignored and everybody, or of those emails that came in, everybody focused on how terrible it was that we had criticised Nigel Farage for focusing on the pubs instead of the deaths of the elderly people. So um, I'm happy to discuss with anybody why we have consistently warned uh, against what Mr Farage does. But in this case, we are again warning that he's drawing people's minds into what is effectively an important issue. Yes, if you're in the pub trade and you're being entrapped and you're losing your, jo your job or your business, that is very important. But our start was to say, why isn't this man talking about the deaths of tens of thousands of elderly people? And the responses that came in in those emails also ignored the critical issue of the deaths of elderly people. David, I'm, I'm very happy to go, obviously not for this news, but I've responded to the individuals with what my concerns about Nigel Farage are, what he has done, how he has abandoned so many people. But we've got a callousness coming in where people can't see the woods for the for wood for the trees, in my opinion. This is this is uh, people who cannot see the key issues. It's down to image and reputation and are you being unkind to my party? This is very, uh, well, what is the expression? I don't know. This is, this is something very serious that's happening to people's ability to think for themselves. It's operating within sort of party rules and party loyalties and not thinking outside of it is very dangerous. Uh, it's important that whatever um, whatever our loyalties lie, or, or even whenever we see there's an injustice, we don't lose sight of the bigger picture. One of the problems the columns had uh, with Nigel Farage in the past is we were running a major campaign on European military union, providing huge amounts of information and data um, as he was campaigning on the subject of Brexit. This is back in the UKIP days. We wouldn't touch it. They consistently refused to touch it until much, much later. So they, they will get to the party, but it's, it's later. These things that are happening now need to be talked about now. There are many injustices floating around the, in, with, with COVID. The one that Nigel Farage was highlighting with the entrapment of, of, of the worker in the pub was disgusting. It was nasty. It was totalitarian. And... He absolutely should be talking about that, but there is much more he should be talking about. I think that was your point, that it's, it's about priorities and it's about making sure we cover the, the, the big issues, not just the small ones or not just the more, the more minor ones. There are, there's an element of COVID which is about getting people to spy on one another. It's profoundly totalitarian and it's very important. And it's also about getting government officials to do wicked things uh, for the state and that's even if they're small they're still wicked that's also very important and we need to talk about these things although they might seem more minor but we also need to talk about the big issues of what's happening to national defense what's happening in the nhs what's happening in the care homes and how people are actually being treated and the fact that 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 we're seeing the elderly killed killed intentionally, their lives shortened um, as a policy. And we know about it and it's been going on for decades and it's getting worse. And there is a risk that under the COVID restrictions, it will get much worse because look in that video that you, sh you showed, look how difficult it was, how impossible it was for a woman who clearly loved her mother and was clearly only there out of concern over her mother's welfare, Look how she was treated and she couldn't get in contact. She was, she was completely excluded. Under those circumstances, 
it is more, not less likely that these crimes against the elderly uh, will continue. Yeah. Uh, well, thank, thank you for that, David. I, I will say to the audience, I, I have answered in an email uh, the criticisms levelled at us. Um, but I've, I've also in those emails mentioned issues such as Nigel Farage running away from our correspondent um, David Ellis when he tried to talk to him about EU Defence Union. But uh, I'm sure we're going to have more debate on this. Let's get back on how the media is controlled and we're back on the World Health Organization and behavioral considerations. So a big thank you to viewer Do uh, John who uh, sent this through to us early this morning. Um, you can download this document, Behavioural Considerations, uh, Acceptance and Uptake of COVID-19 Vaccines, 2.9 megabytes of World Health Organization um, document. And what is it really about? Well, it's using applied political psychology to enforce policy. Uh, this is the acknowledgements. Um, so you can see exactly the people involved. One name jumped out at me immediately. Let's see, highlight this first section. This document was developed by members of the WHO Technical Advisory Group, TAG, on Behavioural Insights and Sciences for Health, chaired by Professor Cass Sunstein. Now, the moment I saw that, uh, I knew what we were looking at here because um, in a recent talk that I did for Ian Crane's Alternative View 11.1, I put up this table on screen, which was showing the chronology of the use of political applied psychology within the British government. And the year here on the left of your screen is 2009. And um, it says that basically this is coming in. It gave some particular um, uh, documents that we're talking about, personal responsibility, animal spirits. That was an interesting one, the decisive moment. Um, you're seeing policy publications, you're see, seeing in the third column, NGOs and think tanks. Uh, but what did this particular uh, document warn about? Well, it was saying all these meetings were going on. So here's Richard Thaler meeting with David Cameron. And then it made a point of saying that Cass Sunstein had been appointed head of the Office of Regulatory Affairs USA. Well, that's a very interesting post to be in. But if you go back, uh, sorry, if you go down through that column, you will see all the other people who are being linked into the use of political applied behavioral psychology to get a message across. So Michael uh, Bickard, Sir Liam Donaldson, Gus O'Donnell, uh, Greg Beals, and on it goes. I also highlighted this book, and I'm going to encourage every member of the UK column audience to uh, buy this book. Um, because it is very, very detailed information on how much of this applied behavioural psychology policy has now got into the government and the UK civil service. And I will say uh, the infection is everywhere. But this is a particularly good book with a lot of detail. The only thing that these university psychologists don't seem to realise is that this is uh, is, is such a bad thing in the hands of malicious people. Uh, they seem to regard anybody using the psychology as you know, being on the side of the, of the public, which is clearly not true. So let's get back onto the World Health Organization document. This is contents, background, introduction, drivers of vaccine update, uh, sorry, uptake, an enabling environment, social influences, motivation, and then they give conclusions and references. Well, let's have a look at a little bit of it. It says, while the behavioural goal is uptake of COVID-19 vaccine by the uh, general population, achieving that goal will depend on the behaviour of other actors in the system, those offering the vaccination, those planning how and where to offer the vaccination, and those tasked with maximising uptake using strategies such as persuasion and the use of trusted endorsers or valid validators. Validators. Thank you. So I had so big problems is, with that. Yeah, this is what Susan Mickey was talking about earlier. Yes. So we've got another World Health Organization document, but I am very confident that we will find links. Uh, where, well, we really are seeing those links back into American psychologists and UK government psychologists to make this happen. So it says behavioural research identifies three categories of drivers of vaccine upset in addition to people having the necessary knowledge. That's an enabling environment, social influences and motivation. 
uh, the drivers interact and overlap uh, for the purpose of understanding the problem and identifying strategies it's helpful to keep them separate so this is detailed analysis multiple groups influence uh, uptake of vaccination including political decision makers immune uh, immunization program managers community and religious leaders health workers civil society organization media outlets and digital platforms uh, david before i go on it's so clear that we've actually uh, got this focus on controlling the mainstream media in order to push the government line there must be no other opinion Yes, and if you look at the definition of consent we showed in the, the column last week, um, which, which requires the individual to weigh up um, using reason um, the, the positive and negative effects and form a balanced and independent view, under such circumstances, consent ceases to have any real meaning. Indeed. Well, we'll follow it through. This is on social influences. Sometimes barriers to vaccination acceptance and uptake are the product of unfavorable social influences and insufficiently favorable ones. Such influences can include beliefs about what others in one social group do or what they approve and disapprove of. So this is very much, we are the lab rats. They're watching how we behave as individuals and uh, within communities, they're gonna manipulate that to get their way. For example, if most people in the community are wary of vaccination, believe that the vaccination does not work or that negative that side effects will be bad, they will give a negative signal to others who might otherwise be in favor of neutral towards vaccination. On the other hand, if most people in the community support vaccination, they will give a positive signal to others. So we're to be corralled like sheep, uh, but there is only one thought pattern that that is that the government's vaccination policy is right. Uh, this was a key um, phrase that I found in the document. It's essential to educate the media on the importance of providing context when reporting on anti-vaccine sentiment to make sure that uh, people do not form an erroneous impression uh, that this is the dominant viewpoint. So we must close everything down so that you don't you don't really see what's going on. Um, but I've added this myself, it's the UK government and the World Health Organization to control and manipulate the media so that people don't know the real truth of the benefits, risks and dangers of, of all vaccines, including COVID-19. So there's no truth because the truth's being suppressed. And that led me to make the statement, well, if you suppress the truth, you can only have erroneous opinion. I think I'm correct in saying that, David, aren't I? Yeah, it seems rational. If the truth dies, then uh, you have no basis for making any decisions at all. None at all. So we'll move on to the conclusion here. Um, there's a lot in this document. I encourage people to read it for themselves. Creating an enabling environment, making vaccination easy, quick and affordable. So they're going to do that. Harnessing social influences, especially from people who are particularly trusted by and, in, and identified with members of relevant communities. So this is going to be your footballers, pop stars and likewise, and then increasing motivation through open and transparent dialogue and communication about uncertainty and risk, including around the safety and benefits of vaccination. But you've shown very clearly in that other World Health Organization document, uh, David, that they're going to suppress uh, dialogue as much as they can because it worries them. Yes, um, the, the, the trusted um, the, the, the trusted enablers and validators of this, we saw how that worked um, just before the vaccination program started because the, the, the newspapers had uh, festooned the front pages uh, with celebrity endorsements of the vaccine program. All these celebrities were lined up, They're even lining up Her Majesty the Queen to do this. Um, but also people like Parkinson and Michael Parkinson. So what, what would be viewed as trusted people from the, 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 the good old days of the BBC before we knew what they were actually doing um, behind the scenes? Um, when they were trusted, they've rolled these people out of retirement. They're putting them on the front page of the newspaper and they're saying, look, they're getting vaccinated. They say it's okay. You think the same way. 
You know, it's okay to think that way because these people do. This is this is the trick. It's been rolled out. We see it. And here you're showing it being discussed and planned. Discussed and planned and to just reinforce it from the BBC's uh, web page from today. So uh, this was one of the embedded articles, COVID-19 vaccine allergy warning over the new jab. Uh, Mike's mentioned this uh, because it, it uh, ties in with the NHS staff. People with a history of significant allergic reactions should not have the jab. Um, but then it muddies the water by saying it's an anaphylactoid reaction, which is a bit of skin, skin rash, breathiness. So they don't talk about the fact people can drop dead on the end of the needle. So this is manipulation of the news. And um, uh, we can clearly see that there, there is only to be a positive side to the, the vaccines put across. We don't want to get into any of the scientific detail about the dangers. So what, it's uh, two o'clock, what are we going to do? Um, do, you, do you want to, uh, David, would you like to just end on your three end slides since we're, at, we're, at, we're running out of time very quickly? Uh, which ones do you want? Is so we'll, we'll go on to, uh, no, we'll, 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 we'll go on to, we don't really have time for that, but we'll go on to uh, uh, the NHS is not my church. Uh, and okay. then we'll go on to Nippy and then we'll go on to uh, the fat closing slide, which is the cartoon. Okay. Yes. Well, okay. Um, this is uh, the, the NHS is not my, isn't my church and salvation. This is Lawrence Fox getting to the core of, uh, of the culture war. Now he's, he's gone into this. He's gone into this with his, with his eyes open. He's, he's set up a party to start to campaign to reclaim uh, the, the cultural lost ground, and uh, he has highlighted one important aspect of it here. So he tweeted out, the NHS isn't my trust and salvation, its employees aren't my saviours. If you can't deal with a 99.9% .9 survival rate virus, you aren't fit for purpose. You don't need protecting, my elderly relatives do. I also love your emergency care, which I will continue to pay for it, for now. That's a very powerful statement, and I thought the, it was it was a gallant of them to take that on because that's part of the cultural landscape that we're told we couldn't challenge, right? What it was Gordon Brown, I think, that said the only thing the people in Britain believe in is the NHS. Well, there's someone standing up and saying, "Well, I don't believe in this false religion, um, and uh, it's 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 not my savior." And actually speaking some truth to power and pushing back against the cultural narrative. This is very encouraging. It takes bravery to do this. Okay, and that, uh, well, is, uh, is Nippy ex exhibiting bravery? Oh, Nip this is just, this is, on a, this is at the end of the news when you do, you know, on a lighter note, we come to Scottish politics. Um, we'll talk a bit more about this next time, but, uh, Nippy has, a, has uh, put out a COVID guide to etiquette and pandemic politeness, which is truly hilarious, right? In a kind of cringe worldly way. It's the sort of jokes that if you watch them in, in, a, in, a, you know, in some sort of entertainment venue when we used to have such things, you would be both laughing and, and feeling so, so cringy that you'd be, you'd be picking bits of fluff off the carpet and reading your beer mat because you couldn't quite bear to look. It's that sort of it's that sort of humour. Um, yes, he's explaining to people, uh, you know, how to how to not cause offence when you don't shake hands, don't hug a loved one you haven't seen in years, and uh, tell tell people to get two metres away from you in a supermarket, because all of these things might make you look like a bit of an idiot. Um, and it's how to overcome that social awkwardness of being that idiot. So that's what the Scottish government's bringing to you this week. Uh, yes, what else can we say? Except well, it's, it's not, not over, over, Mike. It's not over, David. It's not over. Um, so this is a cartoon here. It's not over to the fat lady sings. And uh, here we have a government official um, uh, tell, giving the fat lady a ticking off and saying, singing remains a health risk, as does your obesity. Uh, besides, we've destroyed the theatre industry. So it's not over because the fat lady, for a whole host of reasons, cannot sing. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, that was the news in UK, uh, as we can best report it, since it's becoming so difficult to actually describe some of the um, 
prescribed madness which is going on but we'll leave it there we'll say thank you very much to everybody that's joined us we'll also th say thank you very much for all the excellent email informative emails that are coming in which uh, show that people are really doing their homework and researching this is brilliant and uh, yes we are happy to take criticism uh, but we also reserve the right to uh, respond to that criticism when it comes in um, uh, news extra in about 10 minutes if anybody in the in any of our members want to hang on for that uh, we'll be back in about 10 minutes on the live stream on the UK column website yeah so thank you for joining us and we'll be back with uh, news on Friday bye-bye bye-bye